Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Adolescence is a frightening time, as much for parents as for the actual individuals grappling with puberty, sex, violence, and worst of all, rap and hip hop. <laughs> now, Brendan Lawley—sorry, I've got to stop laughing. Brendan Lawley takes on these issues and this generation in his first novel, Bonesland. So, Brendan, welcome to Three CR. Oh, thank you. Now, I want to start with one of your ancillary characters before getting on to our hero or the narrator of the story uh, and my apologies for some of the language in there oh, it's only one word in particular that becomes offensive this is the character of jimmy no man the rock candy from your cap it might be even better than pussy it turns he turns to face the stage and initiates his spasmodic up and down arm dance sequence that he swears is how you're meant to move to rap music it looks like an aerobics routine done by a robot Jimmy is an infuriating character, frustrating, irritating. In other words, he's a typical adolescent boy. What was your inspiration for this character? Oh, um, yeah, I guess uh, my friends and I in a certain period of our lives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But it's Jimmy has virtually borrowed his approach, his language, his values from the sort of hip-hop culture from America. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't seem to be a... have any opinions of his own. Yeah. Any- uh, yeah, well, I, I, I guess, yeah, that, that could be true. I mean, I think a lot of uh, teenagers get their yeah, personalities from what they're just copying what they see. Uh, and that's what he's most exposed to and what he most enjoys. So he but- becomes it. So he becomes it, but it mean does he? He doesn't seem to have it. Well, an identity of his own. Then, or what are you saying about boys in general? Well, I don't know. I guess we just uh, pick and mix from everywhere, don't we? To to create the the composite human, the, the composite know. human that we. And so boys go through this, um, but it's it's a derivative sort of uh, focus identity. Yeah. Um, that makes it so frustrating because but underneath jimmy also has a sort of uh, very generous nature yeah, he, yeah i guess that's something that espoused by the uh the hip-hop generation too though is uh spending you can't take it with you spend it up spend it on your people right yeah so and then he's got family wealth behind him so he can afford to do this but it, it doesn't seem like a character sort of fixed or an adolescent who's got a foundation in his life other than this artificial... Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I think a lot of uh, younger folk would would feel that way. Uh, not just him. They're kind of searching for an identity and they just grab what they can. Coming into the story then is our main character, Bones, and he has a list of challenges. Obsessive compulsive disorder, a broken home, puberty, and worst of all, he's intelligent. Desperate times, desperate measures. I run to the toilets in Maddenwing. I stop and stare at the 
entry door. I breathe in my last lungful of clean air and trap it in my mouth. I kick open the door and pounce through it before it slams back in my face. The smell batters me immediately. The concrete bunker is a hot box of human methane. It's like I'm trapped in the mouth of someone who passed out with a urinal cake stuck under their tongue. What yeah. <laughs> uh, the problems Bones is facing here oh, in the novel? Uh, yeah, I guess I guess you you mentioned it all. It does feel like a bit of a yeah disability sometimes to be intelligent in a small country town. Uh, yeah, he's got obsessive compulsive disorder, yeah. and you've got that presented in a number of ways in the in mm. his behaviour. What are those ways? Uh, honestly, all the ways are just. I had obsessive compulsive disorder as a as a kid, and uh, it was so extreme. Two people came down from Melbourne and studied me each week, so I had free counselling, so that was cool. But, uh, yeah, so they I was the most extreme case they'd seen, and everything in the book is borrowed from that. Like, everything had to be divisible by three. If there was a number I could control, it had to be divided by three. So if, if there was a, a TV on, it had to be 33, 36. I had to change it, even if it was, like, an assembly or something. I'd, like, sneaky get up and make a fool of myself. Uh, yeah, and so there's that. Uh, there's there's fear of fear of germs. Uh, that was a big one. I used to wash my hands so much, but I refused to dry them because I didn't want to touch a towel. So my hands were always moist. And then this like green stuff started growing up off them. Uh, there was that. Uh, what else? It just just yeah, fear of other people and and just being around being around them as well, and and all the anxiety. That comes with it, and well, just yeah. touching other people or having people touch you, yeah. But this poses quite a challenge when you're faced with puberty mm. and coming into contact with girls. Yeah, so yeah. Bones is having quite a number of challenges in that area. Yeah, I guess because he he, uh, he never had many options with the ladies anyway. I guess it was was convenient that he was also terrified of their. Of their juices, sorry. <laughs> well, in in fact, the the book does touch on a variety of juices. It's very confrontational in that regard, or um, actual, yeah. shall we say? But into this world comes Naya, an American uh, exchange student who is comfortable with her sexuality and is prepared to express her opinions. And this, in fact, well, challenges Jimmy, who is, a mis- well, his um, sort of rap nature makes him very misogynistic and <laughs> sexist. So there's one adolescent being challenged. It challenges uh, Bones because he's, more well, infatuated, interested in Naya. But how do you cope in such situations? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess he's just... Yeah, he was a little bit interested. It was something new, someone from overseas, uh, probably first black person he'd seen as well um, in the country. Yeah, it can get like that. Uh, and, yeah, I think it's her intelligent that intelligence that uh, appeals to him the most, but he, yeah. Well, she uses words that are not monosyllabic. Yes. <laughs> he falls in love with her because she can use words with four syllables yep. sort of thing. <laughs> Um, but yes, this whole notion of then confronting life when you've got obsessive compulsive mm. disorder and fears and fixations, um, you can't interact normally. Mm. So what and what 
forces or what does uh, Bones do to overcome this hurdle? God, I haven't read the book for a while, so maybe, maybe you have to tell me. But um, I, I guess it's just like it's, it's just a, a progressive thing really, but I don't want to give anything away. Well, he takes on a, a certain challenge, so to yeah. speak, um, to um, show Naya that he is overcoming uh, th- these challenges. Just before we get on to a sort of underlying and central issue then behind it all, we also have the confrontation uh, Bones has with people like Shitty. Mm. <laughs> now, what's Shitty doing and what sort of character is Shitty? I guess there's a few, uh, I guess, nasty characters in the book and you can't really figure out who the antagonist is until a little way in. But uh, he would definitely be it because he seems to have the least redeeming features, I guess. And he, uh, yeah, just the natural enemy of the Bones boy because of something that occurred in the past uh, with their families intertwining. Um, so he he's just always targeting the boy Bones for, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of bullying. <laughs> Well, a lot of bullying. So you, you have both ends of the spectrum where you have people victimising Bones because of his OCD, but also then he still has friends who are supportive and encouraging of him as well. So it's it's a, it's an interesting, curious mm. blend of challenges. Definitely. I mean, I think you, you meet all sorts at high school and, uh, yeah, as long as you've got that, that core group who are looking out for you. Well, you, you, you need that lot. support yeah. base. Now, we've got the issue then of sex. But it's interesting because we don't actually... We, we get to the verge of actual actually having sex, but it's everything that surrounds the subject. It's the innuendo. It's the rumour. It's the frustration. Um, Bones is concerned... Um, or because of his interest in Naya, that she might be with someone else. Uh, we also even get bodily fluids, but we don't necessarily have sex. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting one. I just I, I can't really work out if uh, if like it, girls run the world because uh, guys are just always trying to uh, get with girls, or if. We're trying to get with girls because we just want to impress other dudes. I don't know. Like, it certainly, when I was a bit younger, it felt a bit like the latter. Uh, you just come through with, yeah, with stories, and it, it was more about, yeah, the conquests than the, the time well, of the girl. Braggadocio. So, some sure. of the conquests didn't even take place. Yeah, yeah. And things like this. So, you've got that adolescent ferment going on, a sort of torment of testosterone uh, taking place. Um, with all of these, in many ways, false impressions about sex and attitudes and such like, and that, in many ways, substitutes for the actual act, uh, which is yeah, yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I think they get off on the stories. Yeah. That's how the matters. <laughs> um, and, and it's trying to deal with and cope with that yeah. issue, which then brings us then to perhaps the academic issue underlying it all, and... It stops Bones from actually acting. Believing that you're special just sets you up to get all depressed. I feel an agitated buzz inside me. I don't like talking this much. People who talk this much are usually the ones who think they're special. But I'm on a roll because I'm speaking the truth and Naya needs to hear it. 
So people think they're going to be great, but that's when they put everything in, into something and still fail. They realise they're not special, and that hurts them, and then they get depressed about being a failure, and then, I don't know, they kill themselves or something. And it's sort of this not working working yourself into a state of not working. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I saw that a bit with uh, people I grew up with who came to the city who were big fish in small pond in the country, then came down and they they were told they weren't shit. So it, it hurt them a lot. And uh, some of them got stuck in that funk and haven't got out. Yeah, well, yeah, getting into that state, which is where Bones finds himself, and part of the novel is how he gets out of it. But confronting him then is Naya, who um, basically says, I've got a theory. I think you're both proud, and the only difference is he gloats and you throw a pity party. It's all the same disease, ego, just different systems. I'm Symptoms. I'm nothing like Jimmy. I say, I can't believe this. You would call Jimmy out if you were so different, Bones, but you do nothing. You don't even try. Just like you don't try at school. You never get your hands dirty with anything. Well, obviously not. Sorry, no pun intended. What I mean is, living without principle and ambition is going to get you nowhere. And so the undercurrent here is the need for an intelligence, the need for values, the need for ambition. Yeah, I think just to just to fill your days somehow after being, I don't know, when you first have the mundanity epiphany, I don't know, I'll call it that, of, of what life is. Uh, yeah, you, you can, I guess you can choose to, to, to live that or believe uh, the most optimistic thing and, and, and try and fake it till you make it. <laughs> well, that goes on perennially till we make it sort of thing. The novel is Bonesland. The author, Brendan Lawley, and it goes into that adolescent funk and all the angst and uh, the pitfalls of that age group, and it's a text publishing release, Jan. Well, I'm going to use one of Brendan's uh, words from his book or terms from his book, spend it up. Spend it on your people and go straight to my author today, Fiona Lowe. And Fiona, welcome back. And in your book, Birthright, you've introduced me to a new term, inheritance impatience. What's that? Hello, Jan. Thanks for having me. Inheritance impatience is a is a new thing. Back in the day, we... Um, we're normally getting our inheritance around about age 45, 50, but today people mm. are living well into their 80s and often the children are retired before they get their inheritance. Well, this is all setting birthrights all set around Mill House. It's been in the same family since 1870. Where is Mill House and who lives there now? I've set Mill House in the book, the birthright set in the northeast of Victoria, the beautiful northeast, and um, Mingania is a fictitious, bright. Um, Myrtleford and Mansfield, and Margaret is living in Mill House. Uh, she's the matriarch of the Jemison family. She's been widowed for 26 years from uh, their father. So there's three adult children now and a number of grandchildren. Just let's t- hear a little bit about Sarah and Alex. So uh, there are three. There are three children. Sarah ha- technically has the birthright, uh, but she lost it when she was 10 months old to Cameron, who was um, the son, and not only the son he was born to a mother who just prefers 
men Men. over women. We all know women like that. And uh, so Cameron is the golden child and Sarah then grew up under the the golden glow, cast in the shadow. And children who know that they're not the favourite have two options. They either rebel or they turn themselves inside out to please. Mm, And Sarah doesn't realise that she has spent her entire life turning herself inside out to please. Well, Cameron, the brother moved away but he's moved back to this area now and with Anita. Yes, um, Cameron married a woman seven years his junior. Cameron never got over the fact that when his father died when he was 18, um, the family business, which was the sawmill, was in a parlour state and it was wound up. And so he believes that he did not get his birthright. But he's a self-made man and he's been in Melbourne, but because Mingunya is two and a half hours from Melbourne, it's becoming a very popular place for weekenders and he moves there as a business opportunity and he's um, selling real estate. Now, his wife, Anita, comes from a very, very different background, a very poor family and she's the only child. So she's really welcomed into this family. Yes, Anita lost everything. Her family lost everything when she was about nine. Um, And so she has grown up knowing that you can lose everything in a heartbeat and is never fully relaxed into um, she needs to feel secure and so she needs to um, amass a lot of possessions to do that. She feels grateful, much to her sister-in-law Sarah's Mm. horror, to Cameron for um, marrying her, Um, but Cameron's also given her family as well as security. Four daughters, yes. Two of them are boarding school back in Melbourne. And then there's Ellie, the youngest sister. Yes, Ellie's the princess. Um, Ellie's the sport princess. She's the youngest by 10 years. Sarah and Cameron um, were just heading off to university when their father died. So basically she was raised as an only child and she caused their mother a lot of teenage angst. Mm. And she left town at 18. Or she actually left town a bit earlier because she went off to boarding school. She put pressure on, you know, on her mother to go to boarding school. And um, as far as Cameron is concerned, Ellie's had all the opportunities and has squandered every single one of them. Now, she didn't choose really to come back to this area. No, she had – well, she had stayed away for a lot of years and she was a single mother and then the perfect job came out in the wrong place. But she hasn't moved back into town. She's moved to Valley View, which is half an hour down the road, and it is Mingunya's rival town. Oh, yes. You know, it, it got the Shire offices 150 years ago. Mingunya got the um, high school, the football team, whenever they play, it's a total bloodbath and so the family are like she didn't even move home she's moved half an hour away so they're not impressed now she has uh, a young son Noah and uh, the family have never questioned her about that they just assume that Ali is gay and um, it was by donor sperm in Thailand well no there's a question about oh, that there's yes, a question mark over that it's she says you know Sarah isn't convinced that that for all the time she's convinced that that Ellie is gay. There are two things that make her pause. But but Ellie has never introduced a man or a woman to the family. So there, and she does live in a shared house with gay women. Yeah. This book, this absolutely wonderful read, this family saga, Birthright, begins at what is meant to be a joyous day with a big family get-together. What day is it, Fiona? I chose to start the book on Mother's Day. I think Mother's Day is a day that is fraught with disappointment. Uh, I believe that you can't actually have your own Mother's Day until your own mother's passed away. Uh, because So women, it's a day where there's a whole lot of duty 
that is yes. put on. And Sarah is full of duty, and but Sarah's also trying to bring the family together. She's trying really hard. So she's she's hosted. This is her 18th Mother's Day that she's hosted. Um, but it's the first time the three siblings have been under the same roof in forever. Yeah. So and the their grandkids. mother is the matriarch and she it's all about her. So it she, sure is. So Mother's Day finished as it had started with Sarah. She was alone in the kitchen. And in the morning, Alex went out. This is her husband. And I'm just going to read a few lines from this book. It could be a midlife crisis. He was a cycling store's dream come true from his state-of-the-art Italian full-carbon fibre bike with its lights, computer and little solar panel for charging his phone to his gloves for every season and booties with heated insoles. (laughs) Well, it is very cold in, in the northeast in the mornings, I have to say. And he's also not there through the day. What's happened? Well, Sarah, um, with with Birthright, although the theme of inheritance is a steel cable that runs through the middle of the book, each sibling is having their own um, nuclear family Ooh. issues. And uh, Sarah is busy trying to be all things to all people. She's part of the sandwich generation. So she um, has teenage children and she has ageing parents. And that didn't used to happen because we used to have kids at 20, but now mm. we're having them older. And just to make her life more interesting, I've given her a husband who's taken up cycling. And yes, you've heard of uh, middle-aged and men in Lycra. They've got a busy, a very busy business together making cheese too, which is uh, sort of selling around the world. So they you know, they're, they're wealthy in their own right, which brings Cameron, brother Cameron, even nastier. Oh, and uh, a quote from the book, and you'll have to read to or find out why. I expect drama and tantrums from the kids, but not from my husband. Mm. Well, Sarah, as she's got this business, she knows everybody in, um, in Riverbend. But let's get a bit back to the Burmese community. What are they doing in in the local community? I drew heavily from um, I, well, I needed I needed a Burmese community because Ellie, well, Ellie had worked in Asia, and I wanted a real solid reason for her to return. Um, but I uh, drew very much from Nil. Oh, okay. With uh, Nil has the Karen community, and and it's actually changed Nil for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so there's a Burmese community in um, Minganya who are seeking work. They're refugees. And she is the community liaison because she worked on the Thai-Myanmar border. And Ali had to go to her sister and her sister's company and sort of say, well, how about you employing some mm. of these, which reconnected the two sisters. Let's get back to the mother, Margaret. Oh, now she's some, she thinks somebody's stolen her car. She's ready to be picked up wearing her underwear. She started to put sugar in her tea and Sarah finds that she's put the batteries in her fridge. She's blaming the cleaner for missing things and when the local policeman that um, Margaret's known forever sort of questions her driving, the policeman says, if her reflexes and eyesight are as good as the tongue lashing she's given me, she'll pass with flying colours. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Margaret, um, when you are in a family and you see someone every day, you don't always notice um, when when elderly people are starting to fail. And people with dementia, especially early dementia, are very, very clever in being able to answer questions and sound like they're completely on top of things. And when Sarah actually discovers the batteries in, in the fridge, she um, justifies that um, 
because she was stressed and remembers when she was lacking in sleep and she put, you know, the jam in the toy box and the Duplo in the fridge, which was something that I actually did. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, so the family that are very – Cameron and um, Sarah, who see their mother a lot, haven't noticed this. It's Ellie who says, mm. do you think our mother could be failing? And because of the difficult relationship that the older siblings have with the younger sibling, they say, well, of course she's not. We'd know. We'd notice. If anybody has mixed with people with dementia, they know that people with dementia often bring up memories from the past. And Fiona Lowe, you have used this in a very clever plot device. How have you done it? I have um, used where she gets confused and then we go and I take her back in time to where she is living that that um, that memory. So we get a lot of her own history History she hasn't given to her, her to her daughters or a son, but history that and memories she has for herself. Yeah, Margaret's crafted a oh. um, crafted a life, um, and uh, she's made it made it look good how she wants her life and her marriage to have been perceived. And she's done a really good job. Oh, she has, hasn't she? Removing her husband from the footy team, I thought was, oh, crafty. Anyway, <laughs> footy, footy, you see the whole thing about football in country towns, it's really big. And when one of Sarah, Sarah and Alex's kids, Gus, chooses not to play in the footy but to play to, to join the, the school band, you know, it, it causes real grief. He has one clash, that's right, but he's also a very talented footballer so he's um, in line for the draft, so... You know, him missing out on that football match will have a significant impact on him. But then that's all tied up with Alex's story as well. Oh, it is, it is. And then all every country town has a country lawyer. And, of course, we get to know Dan, whose father before him, Robert. Well, they refused to breach the client confidentiality, thank you, and tell Sarah about the will. Well, and, and and that's correct because um, you you do not have the right to see someone else's will until they have died. But who's got the power of attorney now? The power of attorney has uh, has just changed. Sarah discovers this in, during mm. the book. Sarah discovers um, throughout the book so many things that she thought were true um, are in fact not true at all. Mm. So it turns Elder the family on abuse comes into um, – but, Sarah, look, I love this bit. They had to, she, there's the will. They had to find it somewhere. And so Sarah tra- does the treasure hunt through all the files. And, look, if you've got files at home, the guarantees for the Victor Lawn Mower, the instruction manual for the first food press- processor, tax records and every receipt ever issued is all kept. <laughs> but then in the back of a cupboard – Love letters. Ha, 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 ha. Look, this book goes through the sibling rivalry, through this whole inheritance thing, but we pick up on other little issues. Vintage design clothes being sold online. I love that. (laughs) It's a huge thing on eBay. Uh, Right. Okay. And the counselling advice that I think um, every sibling should take heed of. The future can only happen when you let go of self-blame and shame and leave the past where it 
belongs. Which is much easier said than done. Oh, isn't it just? Isn't it just? Um, there's a list, in, a list of book, que- book group questions in the back and just have a think about this one. Are women disadvantaged in family inheritance traditions? Mm. They can, are. Yeah, can emotion ever be taken out of a will or should it? No, that's the big problem about inheritance is it's not just cold, hard cash. It comes with a huge emotional overlay. Yeah. And the other thing that comes with this book is the acknowledgements. There's there's a whole story in the acknowledgements page itself. It just, I think, what? Oh, I wonder what happened there. When I wrote the book, when I, I, people were saying, oh, you know, what's your, what's your current work? And I said, oh, it's a book about inheritance. Um, people came out of the woodwork. They said, have I got a story for you? <laughs> and I was actually told two horrendous stories when the book had already gone through to editing. And I said to my husband, I didn't go hard enough. Oh. So what happened to the Jamison family is nothing compared to what is actually going on out there with inheritance, impatience and elder abuse. And if you Google elder abuse, you get 15 pages of horrendous stories. Oh, Fiona Lowe. I made, well, it's, it's more stories for you to write about. Oh, I think I'm done with inheritance and elder abuse. <laughs> I've been speaking with Fiona Lowe about her book, Birthright, a HQ fiction. And I talked to Brendan Lawley about Bones Land, which was from Text Publishing. Well, and I hope everybody's just going to listen in next week. Cheerio.